Well, the third chapter of the book of Lamentation. I wonder if uh, you understand now in studying through the book of Lamentation that what I'm, hope, what I'm trying to do is to help us to, to, to get the whole uh, message, you know, the whole theme of Scripture and all that's there. And probably you wouldn't be that interested in reading and studying the book of Lamentation if you didn't come on Sunday night and somebody, you know, drill it in. But there is, um, you know, there is a, there is a message that, that in, in the whole thing that we ought not to miss. And I think that our study of the book of Lamentation is helping us see its theme, that is the consequences, the consequence of sin. When a man sins, when God's people sin, what does he do about it? That's what the book of Lamentations deals with. It was written by a prophet named Jeremiah. He was from the little priestly village of Anathoth, little little town right outside the city of Jerusalem where the priests lived. And he probably was thinking that he was going to marry and settle down there and have a family. God had another plan for him. And he called him out of Anathoth and put him, thrust him into the arena of um, that world that was headed down the road to disaster. And he preached for 40 years to warn of the consequence of disobedience And that 40 years of his preaching is the book of Jeremiah. And the book of Lamentation is the journal that he wrote concerning the consequence of man's disobedience and rebellion. So Jeremiah, the book, is the 40 years of preaching against their rebellion and disobedience, warning of the consequences. And the book of Lamentation is the journal of the consequences. And if you could see this lonely prophet walking through the rubbish of a glorious city now leveled by the Babylonians and hear him weep and see his lament, you would understand better the book of Lamentation. The problem is that when we read Scripture, we just read Scripture It really is hard to enter into the emotions and feel what is being felt by the people who wrote it. But I want us tonight to try to do that, to try to feel with the prophet and to feel the infinite compassion of God. You and I would probably say, well, they got what they deserved. I hope they learned their lesson, but that's not God's response. For not only do we hear in the book of Lamentation the lament of the prophet over the consequences of their sin, we hear the lament of a God of infinite compassion. And that's what chapter 3 begins to unfold for us. We just begin to see a little bit of an avenue of uh, of an awareness of God's magnificent care. And that's what chapter 3 introduces. It begins with a statement by a man personifying Israel. In other words, he speaks as a man, but what, who is speaking is really Israel. And he 
makes a declaration that must not just be seen, but felt. So I want you to feel verse 1, chapter 3. I am the man who has seen affliction because of the rod of his wrath. Now in a minute I'm going to kind of take a little trip down the rabbit road and I want to give some, a, 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 a very comprehensive, I hope, explanation of why we have human suffering, as I understand it. Before I get to that point, I want to tell you about a, um, a young man in my church in Seminole who came to know and study and read the book of Lamentation. His daughter was 12 years old when she died of leukemia. After about five years of the most horrible suffering anyone could ever know, and when she died, he, he and I were together in the most horrible experience I've ever been through. In fact, I could not sleep, nor could I eat. And that's a pretty big statement. I could not sleep or eat for days. And when she died, he quoted verse 1 of Lamentation 3. I am the man who has seen the affliction because of the rod of his wrath. And when you feel that with a man who felt it as no other person felt it, you'll understand a little bit of what is happening in Lamentations 3. Now I want you to hold the place here, and before we move further, I want you to turn back just two or three pages to Jeremiah 51. Jeremiah 51, verse 20. This is the preaching of the this is the record of the preaching 40 years. Jeremiah says, He says, You are my war club, my weapon of war, and with you I shatter nations. Now it's important to identify who is the war club. You might think that he's talking to his people and he's the war club is Judah, and with Judah he would shatter nations. But the context makes clear who is the war club. The war club is Babylon. And Jeremiah says that God says, I'm using Babylon as a war club to shatter nations. I'm using the, the enemy of my people to shatter nations. It's significant. Back to Lamentation 3, that the, sec that the word rod in chapter 3, verse 1, is the word war club in Jeremiah 51, 20. In other words, Jeremiah is saying that God is using, he speaks for Israel and says, God is using Babylon as a rod on my back because I've been disobedient and rebellious. Maybe it's your home environment. Maybe it's your personal plight. Maybe you can say tonight that the judgment of God has come upon you and you're living out the consequences of what you have done. And with this prophet, 
Maybe you're not here, you're listening on television, watching on television. But with this prophet, you feel the anguish of this passage. You know the war club in the hand of God. Now, how to make this go, how to make it work is going to be difficult. So I'm just going to read through the record a little bit and make a few comments. Follow me in verse 2. He has driven me and made me walk in darkness, not in light. Surely against me he has turned his hand repeatedly all the day. It's caused my flesh and my skin to waste away. Verse 6. In dark places he has made me dwell, like those who have long been dead. This dark place is a casket. And Jeremiah speaking for Israel is saying, I don't know why I'm still alive. It's, I don't know why I'm, he, he, he lets me go on living. It's like living death for me. John Christendom says that Christianity has not been tried and found wanting. Christianity has been tried and found difficulty. Don't, and, and found difficult. Don't you forget it. There is a kind of preachment that says that when you become a Christian, everything is rosy. No more suffering. No more problems. No more difficulty. When you become a Christian, it's smooth sailing on smooth water. Don't you believe it? Some of the most difficult valleys you'll ever go through, you'll go through because you're of the family of God. He says in verse 7, look at it. He has walled me in so that I cannot go out. He's made my chain heavy. Even when I cry out and call for help, and there is no answer. He's like to me a bear lying. I'm told that a sweep of the paw, the, one of these grizzly bears, can crush a bone. He's like a bear. And he's moved his hand, and I am crushed. In verse 12, he said, He has written right on my body this. He's drawn on my body a target, a bullseye. And he's made me the target of his anger. And in verse 17, he says, in essence, I have turned for counsel and I found none. Now look at the description here of Israel. I've looked out and I found no help. And I looked up and I called and heaven was shut up. Have you ever felt like that? No answer came from the, from the, from, from the heavens. And I looked within, and I found no strength. He's at the end of himself. Boris Yeltsin just made a trip to the United States, president of the Republic of Russia. Did you read that little excerpt about him that said that a few years ago he suffered a nervous breakdown? He went to bed every night with a headache. He said, quote, I looked inside of me and no one was there. A vacuum. I was a human vacuum. It was like someone traced a line around me and no one could enter lest he be contaminated. I was a leper. And when I read that, I thought of lamentation. That's the, that's the feeling here. 
I looked for help and none was there. I called for prayer in prayer and no answer came. I turned within and I was empty. I wondered why I was alive. And verse 19, remember my affliction and my wandering, the wormwood and bitterness. I've heard Chuck Colson tell about his parents used to take him down on the Gulf of Mexico on a little summer vacation. And they camped out in this certain place every time. And he said across the way there, across the bay, was this beautiful house. And it had this big boat house. And it said must have been a boat inside of it. Never saw it. These people never really ever took it out. But inside that boat house was a garwood. It was a huge boat. And he said one day they were playing and they were thinking how wonderful it must be to be rich. And he said, all of a sudden, he said, the doors of that big boathouse opened and they were going to get to see the launching of that big vessel. And he said, they heard the motor crank up on the inside and they, 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 they kind of, they were going to do the launching of the big boat. He said, they kind of backed it out and they got it out in kind of deep water. And he said, that thing sunk like a rock all the way to the bottom. And they were on the boat, they were on the side going, ma, ha, ha, ha. You know, they were kind of, it was kind of tickled them. Lamentations is the story of the launching of a man to the bottom. Occasionally I get a call like two weeks ago. Sometimes it's in the middle of the night. Sometimes it's in the day. But there's scarcely a month passes that I don't talk to somebody at the bottom of life. Well, verse 21, at the bottom he says, This I recall to my mind. Boom. Now here he is at the bottom, of the, launch, the launching and then the bottom, and he remembers. And this remembering, this recalling to, the, to his mind is a turning point. It's a turning point in his life. It's a turning point in this book. Therefore, he says, I have hope. Now, what did he recall? He recalled what we have now committed to memory, if you've done any kind of work with navigators. This I recall to my mind. Therefore, I have hope. Here it is. The Lord's loving kindness, kindnesses indeed never cease for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Should have sung that tonight, maybe. Now, when you recall three things, you, you can kind of get up off the bottom. The first is that God will never stop loving you. A man and his wife came in my office and they sat out on the, on, the, on the couch and we started to talk. How can I help you? He looks at her, she looks at him. Finally she says, I just don't love you anymore. And there is this, um, there is this downcast, this despair. That has to be a horrible message. I just don't love you anymore. 
when I recall that God will never stop loving me, I have, I have some hope. Second, when I recall that His concern for me never ceases, that He does care that, that I can't sleep at night, that He does care about my condition, that He does care that I have a problem, and He never stops caring about me. And third, verse 23 says that His faithfulness never diminishes. How does He know it never diminishes? He said, I'm reminded of that every morning when I see the sun come up. For there's something about the faithfulness in nature, in the order of our creation. When every morning the sun comes up in the east, just as it's always done, he says, every time I see the sun in the morning coming up, I know that God's faithful to me. Now, is there hope? Well, as long as God never stops loving, and as long as He never stops caring, and as long as He remains faithful, there's hope for those at the bottom of life. Now, lest you um, get the idea that all suffering is a result of some problem, I want you to take the pencil now, result of your sin. I want to I just, in a comprehensive way, kind of as a, par, a parenthesis here, I want to I share with you some factors that explain much of our suffering. One, has, first has to do with the dynamics of life. Number one, there is a progressive nature in this world. And life is not static. Both individuals and mankind as a whole, in a growth process, in our physical development, in our intellectual achievement, in our social understanding, so that in this struggle in life of growing, uh, there are often growth pains that bring suffering. And then there is the power of moral choice. I'm giving some factors as to why there is suffering, lest you go out of here and say, well now, preacher says that whenever you're disobedient and rebellious, you suffer. And that must be why everybody's suffering is because they're disobedient. That's not always the case. There are other factors. Here's the factor. Factor two is the power of moral choice. Now, although our freedom is not unlimited freedom, we do nevertheless have the freedom to choose, determine our destiny. We're not puppets that jump around on a string. We can choose which direction our lives will take. We can choose to accept God or reject Him. We can choose to expose our bodies to things that will destroy it. We can, we can choose to do good or evil. And because oftentimes the choice is for evil, we suffer for it. I've heard Frederick Speakman tell about the little boy who went with his parents into a, they were on vacation and they stopped at this diner to get dinner. And they went in, they looked on the wall, had a blue plate special, looked healthy enough, green beans, uh, roast beef, English, you know, I mean, mashed potatoes. So they sat down and, and here comes this typical uh, hash slinger, you know, veteran, Waitress, you you know you you picture that in her mind already. 
So she says, what will you have? And so the man says, we'll have three. We'll have, I'll have a blue plate special. Looked at his wife. We'll, we'll, she, she said, I'll have a blue plate special. That'll be three. Well, she looked at this little boy sitting there. She didn't even pay attention. She said, what would you like? He said, I'd like a hot dog. And the man said, no, he wants a blue plate special. It's more nutritious, better for him. She didn't even pay attention. She said, would you like mustard and relish on that hot dog? He said, you didn't hear me, ma'am. He said, um, he wants a blue plate special just like the rest of us. We don't let him eat hot dogs. And she's, he said, yeah, I'll have everything on it. She said, everything coming up. And when she turned to leave, the little boy looked at his parents and said, man, she thinks I'm human. <laughs> wow, she thinks I'm human. Now, Frederick Speakman says, that the wonder of God is, is that He gives us the privilege of choosing hot dogs. And sometimes choosing hot dogs means that we have a stomachache. The wonder of God is, is that He gives us the power of moral choice. And sometimes we choose the very worst things for us. But He gives us the freedom to do that. And we suffer for it. Third, is the factor of the enmeshed character of human relationships. As the poet put it, no man is an island to himself. And sometimes the, the, the problems of other people and other nations just spill over onto us, you see, because we're in, intermeshed in this world. And so these factors are essential to life. We would not want it any other way. The dynamics of life cause suffering. Second, Sometimes suffering is the retribution of God for sin. Now that's part of what's going on in lamentation. Somebody asked me one time, does God punish us when, he sin when we sin? You bet He does. You don't have to read far in the book of Acts to find Ananias and Sapphira. And, uh, and, and it's obvious that God punishes a person when he sins. But not all, be careful, not all, we cannot apply this truth too broadly because not all suffering is punishment from God for sin. Third, sometimes suffering is a disciplinary measure by God. Now here's the difference. It's not punishment for sin. It's rather a method of producing moral improvements in our lives. It is His discipline. Proverbs 31, 3.11 says, My son, despise not the discipline of the Lord, and resent not his correction, for whom the Lord loves he corrects. And part of what is happening in lamentation is the discipline of God to, to perfect a moral quality in these people that was not there. And in you, you know what I'm saying? You understand what I mean? And then sometimes suffering is explained as probational. That is, sometimes suffering is an opportunity in which one's faith in God can be tested. It's the testing of one's faith. For how can one's faith be found genuine unless it's tested? And the book of Job is an example of the testing of one's faith to prove that man does not necessarily always follow God because it's advantageous to do that. He loves God, he serves God, he follows Him because he loves Him. 
And sometimes suffering is revelational. It offers an opportunity for us to enter into a deeper fellowship with God. And the most amazing discovery I have made is that the people who have suffered the most have the deepest walk with God in most cases. It's revelational. Now what is our response back to the text? What is our response at the bottom? Verse 25. Let's get out of here. Let's do this quick. The Lord is good to those who wait for Him, to the person who seeks Him. Now does that seem like a contradiction? You seek Him in waiting for Him. It is good that he waits silently. So he, he says, it's not just essential that you wait, be st- that, that, you, that you, be, you wait on the Lord, but that you be patient while you do it. He's not just telling us to, be wait, to, to wait, he's telling us how to do it. He says to wait silent, be still. You can't hear God while you're talking. Crudely put, just unzip your life and let Him come in and wait patiently for Him. And in verse 30, He makes this remarkable statement. Let Him give His cheek to the smiter. Now, who is the smiter in this context? The smiter is God. Now, let's put it all together. Here is a people who is suffering the disciplined hand of God, who is suffering the judgment of God for their sin. And their suffering is the consequence of their disobedience. And God takes Babylon like a rod and brings it on their cheek. And he says, turn your cheek to the smiter because whatever God is doing in your life, it's for your good. Because you know this about God. He never stops loving you. He never stops caring about you. And He's faithful. And so there are those who say, Lord, my goal in life is not that I be happy, comfortable. My goal in life is that I be like Jesus. So whatever that takes, I turn my cheek to that. Oh, what a spirit is that of humility and submission and faith. Let's pray. Father, The scripture says that what profit is it if a man 
suffers and he deserves it. But if he suffers and doesn't deserve it, and yet he maintains a spirit of submission, it is of great profit. And thus we know, Father, that that which pleases you is the attitude of submission and trust in the loving, caring, compassionate, infinitely loving, compassionate God. Help us to submit our lives to you. Help us to trust that you will do all that is necessary to make us conform to the image of your Son. Help us to be pleased with that. For I pray in Jesus' name and ask it for his sake. There are three invitations. An invitation for you to be saved, come to trust Christ. An invitation for, your, for you to get, have an opportunity to place your life in church fellowship with us, to rededicate yourself to Christ. Whatever God has spoken concerning His will for you in this invitation, that's what we wish for you. While we stand to sing, we invite you to come.